Hey guys, welcome to Life in Parallel, a show about game development and uh, the trials and tribulations of it. Uh, maybe a show about NFTs, maybe a show about card design, and uh, definitely a show about a bunch of friends. Um, and speaking of, with me is uh, Connor, aka Merchant, and Carson, aka Carson Druitt, and I'm uh, Koji, aka Mr. Gone. Hey guys. Hello. Hey. Hello. I, I would say how are you going, but we've been speaking before this. Oh, uh, I <laughs> feel like we just never don't speak, really. There, there is that, yes. Which is a theme we'll get onto grammar. really with uh with game development. But yes, yeah. hello everyone. Welcome to the show. Exciting to be doing this. It's fun to be uh sharing some of what we go through with people. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, this is the first episode, so you haven't missed anything yet. We're just shaking the dust off. But I think we should probably start with talking about what is Parallel. At its core, it is a game that leverages NFT and blockchain technology to make the game assets tradable, uh, I guess, in viable and sellable. But it's so much more than that, right? It's a war between five factions known as Parallels. Uh, and it is what uh, the next Star Wars. Uh, I just, think just sli slightly better than Star Wars because we intend to be good for you know more than two installments, hopefully. But uh... <laughs> oh, shots fired! <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, what is parallel, guys? Why don't you tell me? That's a good. It's a good question. It's uh, well for us primarily. I think another good thing to go through, which we'll get to in a minute, is just who we are on the team. I suppose. Yeah. But um, especially for us, it's uh, it's a game, really. It's a game that we're all very passionate about. We're all card game players. You know, we all grew up in those times of magic exploding and then the digital, I'd say, revolution, really, for the genre, you know, with Hearthstone and uh, nowadays like Rune Tower and magic going digital and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a real passion project for us, I suppose. And it's a sci-fi card game, which is awesome because sci-fi is somehow criminally underrepresented in the genre and yeah we're gonna gonna smash it on a more granular level let's talk about the parallels and then we can talk about ourselves because people are here about game info not about personal info well who are the parallels and and a what do they represent both from a uh game standpoint but also from a story standpoint uh we'll start from with the earthen because uh that's the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, the story of Parallel in general is about human beings uh, undergoing a cataclysmic event and the sort of split that happens with those human beings trying to survive. Some of them go off into space. Some of them attempt to colonize Mars. Some of them colonize Jupiter's moon, uh, etc. But one such faction gets left behind, and that's the Earthen. Uh, and as we know, humans are resilient. And so these humans somehow find a way to survive this cataclysmic event and are changed by it. Uh, rather than turning to technology or augmentation or anything like that, they're more tuned to nature and the ways of the earth. And so when the other parallels come back to earth to attempt to take it over, they find that uh, the earth and people are there to defend it. Um, and as such, from a game standpoint, uh, we've kind of made them a more sort of defense control oriented faction um, to sort of fit with the theming of the story, but also because uh, that's the play style that I enjoy playing. So, yeah, I think that covers the earth. <laughs> yeah, theme. and I think um, just another thing to touch on, a very bare bones of parallel itself that you touched on there. One thing I love is that we we join, if you like, the actors you know, centuries, thousands of years, even after the cataclysmic event. And there's more stuff beginning to happen, which we'll expand on in the future. But I love that we kind of get to see where everyone ended up, you know? It's not, it, it's not a desperate story for their survival anymore. It's how humanity split out and flourished in a number of different ways. And I think that's a really awesome thing to be able to explore from a design space. 
Yeah, that's a great way of framing it. I think that's, yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. Who wants to go next? Uh, okay, so, uh, well, we'll start. Why don't we start with the people closest to Earth? So we'll talk about the Marcolians. These are the settlers of Mars. Again, you know, sort of centuries on. And the reality is that they pretty much flourished. Yeah, they, they are now a very powerful empire on Mars. They are very militaristic. They have very highly advanced technology. So that's where, and we'll speak about some of it later on specifically, but that's where you'll see their very flashy armor and their amazing weapons of war that you'll get to wield in the game. They are certainly, I would say, they're certainly the parallel that kind of has their affairs in order the most. You know, they're very, very regimented, very doctrined, and that's something that we get to reflect both artistically and in their card mechanics. They are the most, I would say, warlike faction is a fair way to to explain them, but they are not bad guys. I wouldn't say that they are overtly, aggressively militaristic. It's just they play to their strengths, and they've really harnessed Mars and produced some pretty terrifying uh, machines of war, which will be interesting to see. What about from a play standpoint? What, well, what from a play say? standpoint, yeah, they're, they're pretty warlike. They are certainly the natural home of the aggressive player, um, and I mean very aggressive player like if you like the idea of wiping out your opponent you know before they even get an opportunity to really get going the best way that you'll be able to attempt that is with the marcolians they are very focused on maintaining pressure and i always like um the sort of card game analogy of either playing or answering threats so whereas the earthen like koji said are very defensive they'll be answering the threats that your opponent plays until you're ready to you know push for your own win the marcolian is all about uh taking that initiative and presenting the threats and demanding answers from your opponent and so if you like pressure marcolian is a, is a fantastic parallel to play and they get big tanks so that's fun <laughs> who doesn't like a big cannon uh okay carson why don't you go next yeah sure yeah um well the one i've been designing is the Cathari, so um, yeah, the Cathari are the uh, the people who uh, who took their ships out to uh, Europa, the um, Jupiter's moon, and um, made it their home, shaped it in a way that suited them. But due to the harsh environments and um, you know uh, the the harshness of space travel, a lot of them have really focused on uh, the more scientific aspects. So they're the more scientifically minded. Um, of the parallels and they're the ones who have um, really tried to sort of protect uh, like perfect their own genome um, but not only in a way of like oh let's create the perfect version of ourselves but also the most well suited for every task um, so they, they really have been playing God in a way with, uh, with their own bodies and um, altering them for their specific tasks and um, really trying to uh, evolve themselves. So there's a lot of biotech there. So they have genetic memories is the big thing that I've been trying to, um, to talk about with the Ekathari and using that to their advantage. So they're always learning. You know, death is not a finite thing for them. Like the, you know, the, fina like the finality of their lives, it is a stepping stone in their life. And with every death, they kind of carry over into another self and they can still be armed with that information and they can still use that information. And that's why they've been able to evolve as quickly and as uh, prolifically as they have is uh, because they have generations of themselves, literally, um, to sort of grow off of and to learn from. Um, so gameplay-wise, um, these are the faction that are the most um, interested in, like, duplication and um creating overwhelming your enemies on the board so if you like you know um to use a uh, a magic term i guess like uh white weenies is is like a you know <laughs> is the best a, archetype a, name yes an archetype yeah i mean like just uh <laughs> you know overwhelming the board filling the board with little you know little soldiers that will that are expendable but um you can take advantage of that expendability of them 
and uh, and really use them to your advantage. So they 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 want to sort of overwhelm their opponents with uh, with numbers more than anything else. Um, and uh, yeah, I I'm really excited for uh, for how they will sort of play out in the bigger picture of like how where they sit amongst the other five and uh and how they manage to find their own i think it'll be cool yeah i think a really interesting and important thing to touch on as well um with all of the parallels is you know the playstyle descriptions we give of them are they're more the the essence of the parallel i would say every parallel has alternatives paths they can take you know within within playstyle construction there which is a really interesting thing to to try and do, really, you know? Because we're working on the base set of a game. So we have to keep things simple, but we also have to make things interesting and entertaining. And that's been a, a really fascinating tightrope to walk on. And I think I think people will be very pleasantly surprised with the base set in that regard. I think it's going to be more interesting to even see how it plays out because oh, yeah. the descriptors that we're giving right now are... Uh, the way that we've sort of envisioned them as designers, but who knows how the players are going to mm. mix and match these things oh, together. Yeah, to absolutely. We'd never even considered. Well, take for instance, Carson's Cathari he's just talking about, right? It's like the most obvious path with the Cathari is, yeah, lots of clones, you know, duplicating all sorts of stuff, getting a really, really wide and varied board state. But the reality is you could also play huge units and start cloning them. And just go with like a few massive smasher units, you know. So yeah, there's a yeah, there's man. a bunch of different things you can do. It's going to be fascinating to see people experiment because the universal pool is pretty spicy in places. So yeah, yeah, I, very I think there's interesting. I think there's a lot of modularity with the way that we've been approaching design with these uh, with these parallels um, oh, yeah. in the way that you can like really customize them to be the kind of you know, there, there's archetypes, but uh, on top of that, you know, you can really customize it to your play style, right? If you yeah. if you prefer to play a certain way, like there might be a there might be a, be a parallel that um, suits that best. But there's also going to be your own ingenuity that you can, as a player, that you can this impart is, uh, on top of that. This is not even mentioning paragons, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have a uh, organ core and the shroud. Koji, which one do you want to take? And I'll I'll do the other. I mean, I'm going to be honest. As you probably know, I want to do the shroud. So uh, would you like to do organ core? Sure, yeah. Um, well, speaking of, of the ability to sort of uh, suit your own play style, I think that's a perfect segue into the organ core because uh, they are humans that uh, left and were mining deep space and decided just to continue mining uh, asteroids in deep space. And rather than inhabit a planet, what has ended up happening is they've uh, grown out their... Um, you know, mining flotilla into like a giant sort of, I guess, space station-esque figure uh, and decided to live out in space, augmenting themselves with technology to survive. And so what you have is, uh, I don't know, part human, part machine uh, entities that um, over the years have become more and more sort of attuned to the ways of uh, the cyborg, I, I suppose. And what that translates to uh, in play style is uh, sort of, I mean, to borrow another magic term, a sort of enchantress style where you uh, are filling your deck with uh, what we've called upgrades um, and then playing those upgrades on your units to sort of uh, mix and match your best unit together. Uh, I like to use the term Lego people for people who are not familiar with... Uh, <laughs> with the the card games themselves but like essentially you're just building out uh units the way that you would like to see them it's very highly customizable and um allows you to react to your opponent's play style if you've built the uh, appropriate deck and can be a lot of fun i think um ultimately uh in my mind i see it as being uh pretty versatile given the mechanics that we've built into uh, the augen core i don't want to spoil anything too much but yeah. Yeah, the organ core are really, really fascinating. And I, I don't want anyone to think like, oh, you know, they're gonna have a bunch of upgrades that say this unit gets plus two, plus two. Like, no, there there is some really crazy stuff in organ core. Um, I think that they are gonna be a fantastic deck building challenge for players because there's so many different things you can aim for with them. 
this this isn't even this isn't even considering mixing in the universal pool with them as well. Uh, right. There's going to be so many paths to just making huge, colossal, or very useful units. That's going to be amazing to see players experiment with. And it's one of those things that we we can do all the playtesting in the world, but nothing beats like mass player data in that regard. And that is, I think Organ Core might be the one that like statistically I'm most fascinated to see what people gravitate towards doing because there's so many different things to achieve there. Amazing. Well, that leaves one very mysterious parallel. Yeah, the, sh the Shroud. So uh, the Shroud are our fifth and final for now. Ooh, no, there's going to be five parallels, <laughs> at least for the foreseeable future. Um, the Shroud are our fifth and final parallel for the base side of the game. And they are, well, you know, everyone else, we've kind of been telling you exactly what's happened, who they are, how they play. But the whole thing with the Shroud is they are very mysterious. They are the crew of a ship called the New Dawn. In fact, they are still largely aboard the New Dawn. And that is a ship that disappeared across, you know, a black hole, essentially. and was spat back out, forever changed. And you'll learn more in future sets and in future like narrative development within those sets as to just what went on in wherever the New Dawn went. But for now, in the base set, what you largely get to see is the results of what happened. And the Shroud have been converted into almost half-human, half-cosmic beings who take on all of these incredible i mean our artists have i mean i'm sure most of the people listening to this will have seen reality manipulator if you haven't go and check it out that's your first look at a shroud as they look when they are in their more cosmic form because they can kind of shift between the two and it appears when they're using some of the uh abilities we'll say that they gained and our artists just did the most phenomenal job with them so the shroud are mysterious that's kind of their whole element and it's something that we're really looking forward to giving hints and you know kind of letting people make their own conclusions and figure out as time goes on but you will get to see a lot of characters in the shroud which you haven't seen any of yet they are led by a very powerful council of the members of the shroud who were gifted with the most uh intense powers if you like and each one of them has a different flavor to them they sort of have different abilities they're sort of like a very, very sinister, spooky version of the X-Men in that regard. And I the, I think maybe, I don't know about you guys, but for me, maybe the members of the Gifted, who are this council that ruled the Shroud, are maybe the cards I'm looking forward to showing people the most. Because they do some crazy stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for Shroud reveals in general because... Oh, yeah. I, I first of all I love the the, the play style that it, it provides, but uh, you mentioned powers and uh, them being forever changed. And part of the fun of putting this together was the fact that maybe they don't even understand their powers fully, and oh, thus yeah. it's yeah, reflected yeah. in the in the play style of the game. And so it allowed us to do, I would say, the most off the wall stuff. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. And uh, Shroud really. Their playstyle is is fascinating because I, I like the idea of like contradictions and juxtapositions with the Shroud. So they have probably the, to use a card game term, the, the hardest control elements lie within the Shroud. You could make a case for some Earthen cards as well, but generally speaking, Shroud have the most emphasis on hard control, but then they also have the most chaotic cards in the game. So they really have this interesting juxtaposition of very precise, very skillfully navigated, if you're to succeed, control elements. And then they also have the most chaotic cards. They have the heaviest use. I say heavy. Don't take that in a bad way. You know, it's not, not as bad as some of the things you're imagining. They have the heaviest use of like a random generation in their cards because the whole idea is the Shroud are forever changed and you don't understand as a player and they don't understand the extent of some of their abilities so results may vary, essentially. And yeah, I just I, I think we've really hit a sweet spot in the Shroud of giving, you know, rewarding patience while also giving them tools of destruction. And yeah, they're, they're a very exciting faction. Like, as Koji says, they have the most off-the-wall things for sure. Even their paragons are, are pretty crazy. Yeah, it's been exciting uh, coming up with uh, all the cards for all of these... Uh... Mm. 
for all these parallels, uh, Shroud included. I mean, it's it- so different. That's what I love so much. I think one thing we've nailed so well is that, and I and I hope this is something that's shared by the player base when they get their hands on, you know, the first versions of playtests or whatever. I think you will be able to look at almost any card. Like we could hide the name and hide the parallel of a new card, and I think players would be able to tell us to whom it belongs. Which I think is really good. Like I think the parallels are very nicely distinct from one another. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's been uh, uh, it's been interesting to see it all all play out because uh, I had no idea what this game was going to look and feel like before we started, and, and I get pleasantly surprised every day. <laughs> yeah, it's because we've done so much work on this. Like the majority of June and July was spent. Like if I wasn't on the PC, I was like thinking about the base set like no matter what i was doing so it was a very very intense process to the point that we did so much work collectively that every now and again i look at a card and i'm like oh yeah i remember making this oh this is cool (laughs) when we look through things it's uh it's a rewarding experience i guess yeah totally i mean so uh, let's talk about that that work for a second and all the stuff that we've kind of gone through when it first started um you know, I had a, a base sort of skeleton idea. One day I got called up by a, a friend of mine who said, hey, I have this idea. Do you want to help me build a game? And I said, okay, what's your idea for a game? And he said, I don't know. You tell me. Um, and so I, I came up uh, one day, you know, I, I've told the story before, but it was probably about 4 a.m. I woke up and I said, hey, what if we did this thing uh, that ended up being the so the whole banking system? Um, you know, it seems simple, but no one's ever done it before. And, and, it, and it puts players to decisions. And for those of you who don't know, essentially any of the cards in your deck can, can be used uh, as the equivalent for, we'll say mana, um, if you've played Magic or Hearthstone before. And so you can either play it as mana or use it for its uh, you know, intended purpose, the text on the card. Um, and so I thought that immediately put players to a decision that would... Uh, you know, that would be interesting to see play out. But then I realized, okay, so I have a good idea. How do I fill out this good idea? Uh, so I rang up uh, a good friend of mine, Carson here. And I said, hey, you like making games. Why don't you help me make a game? Uh, and we can fill this in together. And then Carson and I feverishly came up with a bunch of cards. And Carson said, hey, I have this friend, Connor, who uh, knows card games inside and out. Why doesn't he help us? Uh, make a game uh and so we called you up and you looked at what we did and said okay some of some of this is okay but maybe we have to start again a little yeah it's like how 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 honest is he gonna be here yeah 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 and and so um you know we 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 took the skeleton that that was created by carson and i and uh started giving it flesh and bone or well it had bone i guess started giving it flesh and uh you know you really helped fill in the meaty parts here but um yeah, what was your experience first starting? We'll start with Carson. Uh, you know, how did the, how did this sort of start with you? Because I mean, that's my recollection, but uh, maybe I have some oh, sure. rose colored glasses on. Yeah, no. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I you called me up and you said, "Hey, I have this idea, this crazy idea. I want to make a card game, and I think you should help me do it." And um, there was a lot of. Um, I think I think in in my mind I was I was like well yeah I really like games I really like playing them I've dabbled in making my own most of them turn out pretty boring <laughs> but you know it's like hey this is a good opportunity for me to learn something and uh, and to do it with um, with someone that I'd be really really happy to work with and as we started to flesh it out and and figure it figure it out. You know, I got more and more excited about it every time we sat down. We had like um, we had multiple meetings a week, and we'd sit down and we'd start working out cards. And it was, okay, let's bang out a few more cards. Oh, what do you think about this? Hey, we should have a mechanic that does this. Well, okay, should uh, what would if that mechanic were were to be present with this parallel? How would it work? Okay, what about this one? You know, and and we kind kind of worked through a lot of that, and it was really a lot of it we tried to impart like a vague structure and I think over time it kind of became a little bit nebulous near the end, but like we, <laughs> we had some weird ideas about it. And I think, 
um, those weird ideas, it's cool to see some of those have been transformed into what they are now in the base set. And, um, and I think um, I was really fortunate to have uh, started working with Connor on, um, on some other previous projects and then um, for him to have called me up to work on something else. And I realized, you know what? He's the perfect fit <laughs> for this. Like you, you and I sat down and we talked. Uh, like we were talking about our other project that, yeah, you know, and, we ended and up I was... talking about parallel for like two hours instead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I realized like talking to him every time, like with every new little thing that he would say or drop, I was like, you know what? He he's becoming far and beyond just like the perfect person. I agree to bring in to bring in for this um and uh like it it yeah we couldn't we couldn't have found a better person to uh you know a better a third team member for this and um to sort of steer us right you know oh, sorry that's very kind yeah. of you guys um i mean the, these guys are selling themselves short like the reality is koji pretty much you know just decided to make a whole card game on a not a whim but you know on a prompt and when i came in um obviously these guys had i, I actually it's actually i should have made a note of this but i can't remember how many cards had been done i think it was somewhere in the range of like 150 ish i know that the set grew a lot since then but the, there was a lot of cards done anyway and like these guys are selling themselves short because the reality is a lot of people out there think they can make games and then they sit down to do it and they realize that having one or two good ideas does not translate to being able to make a whole game. And I was very, very impressed with the amount that these guys had done. Like the amount that the, the fact that they had put together a cohesive game, especially like the core rules are great. The core rules have changed a bit here and there, but for the most part, the core ideas were fantastic. And then the volume of cards they had designed, some of which are so outlandish that they're seared into my brain forever. But, you know, <laughs> the fact that they've done so much, i that's actually kind of the thing that made me look at it and go, okay, these guys are serious. Like, because I've got a lot of emails in the past from my, my work on YouTube and from, you know, random stuff in the industry, kind of saying like, hey, take a look at my game, blah, blah, blah. And you open it up and it's like, you've, You've not made anything, right? But these guys had done so much, and they'd done most of it really, really well. well. Yeah, it was a really interesting experience, for sure. One of my favorite moments, and this is kind of an insight for anyone listening <laughs> in game design in general, is uh, even after you had come on and we had started working away, uh, we had kind of devised a system on how we wanted to handle things. We had realized a few weeks in, oh my God, we don't have enough units. Oh God, this was fun, yeah. Uh, and so... I think ultimately, you know, Carson and I maybe even had upwards of 200 plus cards, but uh, yeah, maybe we, we had realized at a point that, wait a second, all of these cards need to be refactored because the game needs to be mostly units. And it wasn't something that was immediately obvious up front um, to any of us, really, uh, until uh, someone sat down and really did some head scratching. Um, <laughs> and I guess that's part of the fun of this of this whole process, right, is is. Um, you're going to hit stumbling blocks, but as long as you're uh, willing to work through them and, and uh, you can recognize them uh, well enough in advance, you can figure it out. Yeah. And I think like the, exactly the, the whole, <laughs> the whole units debacle was, was crazy because there's like two types of, well, there's a lot of types of design, but the main two are like bottom up and top down. Right. And the, the original base set of the game was made bottom up where you made individual components. And then eventually you had, uh, you had the base set, whereas now the the rewrite obviously was done top down, where we started with themes, we started with things we wanted to achieve overall, and then we you know filtered that down into individual cards. Um, but yeah, the unit counts thing was was really fun. We basically looked at the cards and we were like, so you know, this is ballpark numbers, obviously, but like, you know, so we have like two hundred cards, which means we probably want about maybe like a hundred to one hundred and ten units. Yeah, we have like 40 units. <laughs> so that was an interesting few weeks of um, refactoring a lot of the intended mechanics into a unit pool, which I would say really was the, the start point of what ended up becoming Parallel's base set, really. For sure. I mean, uh, it also 
through that problem, we were able to figure out a, a more efficient way of us sort of working on these things together uh, that ultimately, uh, you know, got the engine sort of rolling on its own, so to speak. We would meet less frequently and, and kind of just review things uh, together once in a while. But it wasn't as if we were just sitting together every other day trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, so that that problem actually led to a, a few more solutions, which I guess is, you know, one of the one of the core things is in design is like don't freak out when you when you hit a stumbling block of any kind make sure that you uh you learn from it and, and sort of move on yeah and the, the thing is as well like you're exactly i mean you're just entirely right it's the it's also just the the ethos of i would <laughs> we would much rather stumble over those blocks than players do in 12 months time you know <laughs> so um so yeah. you're saying the game's coming out in 12 months Exactly. Of course, yeah. yeah to the to the day, yeah, and then the yeah. film's coming out a week later. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> when there game? We go. But yeah, it's um, it's been a. I mean, obviously, I mean, these guys know. I've said this to them before, but it's been such a, a pleasure and an honor, really, to to come work on Parallel because, um, a lot of people dream of doing stuff like this, and it's important to always stay aware that very few people get to do it, and so it's um, it's, I don't. I think it's something that no one on the team never mind just the three of us would ever take lightly really so yeah it means uh means a lot to us sure yeah and i think we got lucky yeah. we're we're a good working team for sure oh yeah uh, okay so let me ask you guys something else though because i know that the three of us come from uh you know heavy game background carson's also a prolific artist but uh none of us really come from a an nft or crypto background so uh what was your first foray uh, or just window into this world kind of like coming from the art background um i think i had first found out about nfts through the art community largely two big groups that kind of split off uh one group that said Let's embrace the idea of this. We're digital artists creating digital work that can never compare in a uh, fine arts, you know, in a, in a f avenue or or in an, in its in particular avenues with uh, with traditional art where there's a physical piece that can be sold that's worth more than a print of it, right? Whereas um, largely a lot of uh, artists had to rely on okay well i can make prints of this thing but it's not like i'm selling the pdf the photoshop file or something of my painting you know uh to anyone so it was a weird a weird place to sit within because i had friends on either side of it who um who honestly didn't really see eye to eye and so for me when Koji had approached me about the idea of this and the use of uh, the blockchain and NFTs, um, uh, honestly, I was a little bit apprehensive at first because of just the the great amount of discourse that was being shown to my face from both sides of uh, of the art community. So um, it it was it was a lot of that at first. Um, but I think with the way that we have approached working on, on Parallel, the way that Koji had pitched it to me, the way that um, other members of our team have, uh, have talked about it and approached it, and, and ultimately the way that we've been tackling it um, has really helped me uh, feel a lot better about those issues. Um, the, my, not so much issues, but I guess apprehension um, my initial apprehension about working on something like this. And, um, and I think the nice thing is that we have a lot of freedom with the way that we're trying to do this. And there are a lot of really cool things that no one else is doing in card games that we can do because of the blockchain, because of the way that we're doing these things. And um, there's some really cool technology in there that I think we could use. And um, so for me, that's that's kind of where I came around with it was uh, the innovative qualities of it and um, the potential as well. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, there's there's a lot that uh, going into this, I had no idea about. Well, I, I'm going to say almost all of it. Um, I was familiar with 
uh, uh, the blockchain through some other projects that I, I had worked on in the past, but uh, I wasn't quite aware of the whole world of NFTs and uh, just how uh, everything operates. And I feel like I'm learning something new every day, not just from a game design standpoint, which I am learning something new every day, but also just from the whole sort of crypto and NFT side of things. You know, I, I feel like I've taken an absolute crash course and learned a ton of stuff that I had no idea going into it. And another thing that's pleasantly surprised me about it is sort of the community that surrounds uh, a lot of our project, but the, the, the crypto and NFT space in general. So far, everyone that I've encountered and dealt with on a, on a personal basis, as personal as you can get anyways on a computer, uh, has been pretty supportive and um, informative and, and all the rest. It's actually been um, pretty surprising. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative of, of that too. It's, uh, it's an interesting world to live in. God, you guys stole all of my words. Um, yeah, basically that. Um, I was familiar with crypto and especially blockchain stuff beforehand. But the whole NFT side of things is very new to me. Um, while I don't work... By the way, if anyone listening, if you haven't seen Carson's art, you should absolutely check it out. He's a phenomenal artist. But I agree. Um, oh, he's, yeah, he's so good. I, I hate oh, that he's talented. It makes me feel terrible. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I was, again, NFTs primarily, uh, primarily exposed to them via the... I, I'll be open and just call it the drama on Twitter. Twitter and drama. Wow, I know, right? But um, yeah, obviously, you know, I know Carson. I know a lot of the magic artists um, and other artists. And of course, it was a very hot topic on there for a while. That's why I kind of became aware of it. Um, but yeah, my, my interest primarily lies in blockchain capabilities. I mean, I'm just repeating what Koji and Carson said. But yeah, basically all of that. I just think we can do really exciting things with it. Like Koji and I were literally talking last night or whenever it was. Um, about cool rewards that we could do that could have tradable elements and stuff like that. There's just, it's such a wide topic that there's no point speculating on any one feature to do with it because there's so much we can do with it. Um, and that's a very cool thing as somebody primarily, to be fair, interested in game design and making sure the, the game is as fun as possible and as rewarding as possible for players. Um, it's a fantastic tool to have in the arsenal, basically. Yeah, and I know I've said this probably uh, a few places, but I'm going to say it here for posterity, uh, the official channel, uh, is that, um, yeah, as, as, a, as a kid, I got into magic uh, during the revised era. And uh, ever since then, I've always taken joy in going into the card store, looking at the glass case and being like, oh, look at that card. Oh, look at that card. You know, <laughs> and, and just... Uh, you know, especially as a kid when I didn't really have money to just pick and choose the cards that I wanted, just seeing them in the cases, seeing what they were worth, seeing the abilities and being like, oh man, look at that dual land. I wish I had that, you know? Uh, and being able to do cool stuff like that uh, in a digital space just excites me. You know, it brings back the kid in me. And that's all, really, I think, what we're, we're as an organization trying to do um, as a whole. Because one of my favorite things about everything that's happened so far is universally everyone that I've talked to that has taken part in our first pack drop uh, when they were opening their packs, they all told me it, it made me feel like I was a kid again. Like I was yeah. opening cards, you know, in the card store. And I'm like, it, uh, there's, there's no uh, words to describe like how much that touches me. Cause that's exactly oh, yeah. what I want. So just the, to touch on that. I mean, one thing that's it's hard to state while seeming sincere so i'll just use an anecdote i have like uh two of my friends who i didn't even really know were following the project that closely but you know they were keeping an eye on it because obviously i worked on it um they both managed to get packs in the pack sale that we did in the first pack drop and they got i think i think one of my friends uh ruben got three four packs and a silver pack I, think, I can't remember what we end up calling it. An enhanced pack, I think. Um, sorry, I'll accidentally use internal dialogue all the time. And my other friend just got three core packs. And uh, Ruben sent me a message a few days afterwards thanking me so much for paying off his car for him. And my other friend thanked me for paying off the debt he owed to his landlord for rent. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. Like, that's a, 
that's a real life impact, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy the it's power of that stuff. Crazy the stories that I've heard. Uh, I will say that we take no responsibility for the secondary market, and everyone, oh, yeah. please, please uh, be responsible with your Ethereum, your dollars, whatever it is you're using to to pay for these things. But it is crazy to see. Um, you know, some people and it's a and, consequence we get to enjoy, right? Like, absolutely. Because I, I, it is important what you said, where it's like, we don't like the secondary market is not controlled by us. Um, and it's amazing to see the just awesome stuff that can happen there. Uh, and not that I want to just sit around, uh, patting us on the back here, but, uh, <laughs> the decision that we made, I think to make any card available in any type of pack. Um, thus far in our in our pack drop, I think was incredible because I mm. I just read a story on our on our Discord and um, if you're not on our Discord, I suggest that you you get on our Discord. But um, someone spent eighteen dollars on a core pack, uh, or I guess the equivalent of eighteen dollars on a core pack, and pulled uh, a catalyst drive, which is Ooh. amongst the rarest cards that we have. So, I mean, just craziness there. Uh, okay, so let's let's switch gears here for a second because I know that we don't want to go too far over an hour. Um, let's talk about some game elements. The reason why people are probably tuning in is uh, they're asking us what the f do these cards do in game and how does the game <laughs> work. So let's uh, let's do that. Let's let's spill the beans on some of the in-game functions of some of these cards. What do you guys think? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a good idea. I think um, yeah, people can expect some some rapid fire. I say rapid fire. Uh, some pretty pretty rapid tempo reveals for this sort of stuff. Um, I think before we get into the specifics, a good thing to just acknowledge was um, that yes, we are aware people are very keen to at least get a glimpse. Obviously, I want to make incredibly clear everything we say absolutely subject to change. We are in internal playtesting phases. These things can and will change, but... I know people are very eager to get a glimpse into what the awesome cards they've been collecting do, and we're going to do our best to essentially clear the backlog that we have. And then hopefully, as we start revealing cards in the future, we'll be able to accompany them with the intended mechanics. Um, so yeah, I guess we should get started on that, right? Absolutely. So one Fantastic. of the ones that people have been asking me about the most on Twitter, uh, and you should follow our podcast twitter at parallel nft pod although i'm sure if you're listening to this you already are um <laughs> but one of the ones that i've been asked about a lot is uh gaffer's peace pipe uh it is one of the first cards that we had from uh, you know an uh, ideation standpoint before we even had a game or knew what the function was going to be yeah. uh and uh you know kind of funny story but this is one of those cards that uh Carson and I created a function on, well, I'm not even going to blame Carson. I created a function on and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, after some consideration, uh, we decided that it was insane and would ruin the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and and us yeah. decided to change it a little bit. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Gaffer is, a uh, an earthen paragon. And uh, this is his pipe. So what does it do? It is a relic that at the beginning of each player's turn, you put a counter on it and then give one of that player's units pacifist. When there are six counters on the card, it gets wasted. Well, Koji, while, seeing as this is episode one, why didn't you tell people what pacifist is? Oh, yeah, okay. Let's get into it. So pacifist is an ability, if you will, um, native to the earthen, but I don't know that it's necessarily exclusive to the earthen that uh, essentially if a unit is pacified it can no longer attack so it can still defend if it has defender uh, but it can no longer initiate attack so the peace pipe is giving each player one of their units it's giving them pacifist each turn so it is uh, I, I love the and you know, it's interesting what you said at the beginning actually because I would go so far as to say that this is one of the cards that made it through the rewrite virtually unscathed. Like, this is actually, in many ways, this is like the oldest parallel card, really. Which is kind of cool. Yes. It's like the it's like mm -hmm. the, the first... And this is, goes back to what I say about it. These guys like did an amazing job considering where they were starting from. 
this made it through like relatively unchanged, which is awesome. Well, um, I think it's probably important to note uh, that with this card specifically, like I had an idea in my mind that was thematic and I, I wanted to make it uh, a function. So the, the idea that uh, the earthen were peace loving people. And of course, uh, Gaffer being the, the sort of number one um, peace lover, his, his items should, you know, impart peace onto mm. anyone that encounters them. And so with that idea in mind, I tried to decide, okay, well, how does that look from like a actual in-game mechanic standpoint? So I figured, uh, you know, I, I pictured people sitting around in a circle of all parallels, sort of talking and smoking this peace pipe and, and thus, you know, for, for the time being uh, pacified. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And so many of the cards in the game stem from that origin point of, uh, of flavor and of desire to see uh, a motif, if you like, represented in game. And it, it always leads to the most interesting cards, I think. Who wants to go next? Um, I'll, I'll go next. Why not? We got a, but let's, let's move on to Caffaro's amazing giant artillery that we recently, uh, had in the pack sale, which is the Earthbreaker cannon, which is a Marcolian legendary unit. And this thing is a, is a, is a bit of a whopper. So we're going to shy away from, um, saying exact stats, like, you know, how much energy it costs, it's attack and its health, because those are the things that are the most subject to change and we don't want to mislead people in the future with those so um i will say though it is at the top end so you can you can imagine needing quite a lot of cards in your in your energy bank to pay for this thing however the earthbreaker cannon has an effect that once it's on the board whenever another vehicle you control enters the battlefield earthbreaker cannon deals five damage to any target and this is an interesting card for a few reasons, because we essentially just spoiled that one of the major themes in Marcolian deck building is vehicles. I hope uh, you guys are taking notes here, because, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that as we go through these cards, we're going to uh, intentionally or otherwise sort of spill more beans than we intend. Um, and so I guess that the reveal there is that uh, at least some parallels are going to have unit subtypes. Those subtypes, subtypes. yeah, will we'll, we'll play a factor. So uh, for any of you Marcolian fans out there, this Earthbreaker cannon is definitely a whopper. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge threat to sit on the board. Adding five damage to any target on any vehicle you play after playing the Earthbreaker cannon is really scary. So, yeah, the Earthbreaker is fantastic. And uh, vehicles are a... Now, they aren't exclusive to Marcolian. Um, they exist not only in Universal, but in other parallels as well. Um, however, vehicle support is almost entirely present within Marcolian cards. The only other cards that support vehicles are one or two in the Universal pool. Um, so really, vehicle decks belong to Mars, which is uh, fitting, I think, because you know it's a very militaristic style of deck. And yeah, all they need now, I guess, in the future is some sort of paragon to support that, right? Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see, I guess. All right. So uh, one more, maybe, Carson? Yeah, sure. Um, so the next one we've got here is a rare uh, shroud relic and its pocket dimension. Possibly, I think, uh, one of the most beautiful cards that uh our uh one of our artists oscar marr has ever designed it's, mm. it's beautiful it's fantastic and um largely actually influenced by um by a personal story i guess for uh for you connor but uh just you yes. know the the ties with with D and D and the bag of holding well, and we're all like we're all D and D players here right which is yeah. which is oh, awesome yeah. but Yes, I did um, the aesthetics before I let Carson go into the mechanics. Um, just quickly, the, the aesthetics of this card, in case you haven't seen it, it is a dodecahedron, commonly known as a d20. Uh, and obviously, pocket dimensions are another reference to Dungeons and Dragons, as is its flavor text. So, yeah, this card is like a, a mini little love letter to something very important to me, which is uh, tabletop role playing, because I think it's awesome. And it's the origin of a lot of this stuff, right? So, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. just a little, nice little note from me to D&D there. Yeah, so um, the card itself, uh, the 
functionally, what it does is now, once you put it on the board, um, you no longer uh, draw cards at the start of your turn or at the end of your turn. Um, if you had, uh, like, banked to put a card into your power bank. So, um, but uh, that's kind of like an overarching thing that it does. But then on top of that, it says whenever either a player plays, uh, either player plays an effect, you can draw a card from your deck or a random card. And this is the important one from the singularity. Uh, now that's a mechanic um, that, uh, again, I think, are we talking about the singularity? Oh for yeah, the first yeah. Time we can, we not the first time, but we can expand on it a little bit because I think a lot of people might be getting their first real look into game mechanics by listening to this. So we can explain the uh, Koji. Do you want to explain the singularity, or, or should I? I don't mind. Sure. Um, so essentially, the singularity is a card pool only accessible by the shroud, and uh, I mean it starts empty, but there are many shroud cards that uh, take. Uh, things on the field and put them into the singularity or from hands and put them in the singularity. It's almost like a alternate um, waste pile, I suppose. Uh, but they are removed from the game uh, and only certain cards can bring them back from the singularity and those cards only exist within the shroud card pool. And this happens to be one of them. So if you wanted to sort of selectively uh, recur cards or maybe steal an opponent's card, question mark, um, you know, you could do that using the pocket dimension. Oh, and a very good question um, that we spent several days answering ourselves in the past. In a Shroud mirror match, each player has their own singularity, which is why cards like this will say from your singularity in the game. Um, but yes, very, very exciting. So this card is a funny one to reveal early because in essence, it is one of the stranger cards in the base set. Because what you do is you willingly sacrifice, and sacrifice and uh, alternative costs is a theme throughout Shroud cards that we'll expand more on in the future. But you essentially sacrifice your normal card draw or your card replenishment from banking, right? But you get the potential upside of if, if your deck is full of cheap effects, you could essentially go haywire in a turn, right? You could be drawing three or four cards a turn if your deck is built to support pocket dimension. So this is a real deck building challenge for the for the meme lovers out there essentially absolutely and there's huge combo potential because some of those effects oh, yeah. could obviously put cards into the singularity that you could then draw out using pocket dimension so um a lot of fun there to be had i think for sure oh yeah all right well let's uh, finish off the show with a little bit of a mailbag you guys want to answer some questions no yeah okay. go on. okay well show over then um <laughs> Okay, this one comes from, you know, I'm going to try and pronounce these names, these, these crazy oh, Twitter God names. Godspeed, have fun. Yeah, yeah. SlimWC is asking us to describe gameplay and what we're trying to improve on uh, based on other games. I think that uh, as you continue to listen to this podcast, you will uh, hopefully get some answers there. Uh, I think there's a interesting, there's just one comment I do have on that. It's quite a broad question, obviously, but one comment I do have on that is, a lot of people love to ask, is this going to be a Hearthstone clone? Is this going to be a Magic clone? The answer is no. Like, yes, we are thoroughly within the genre of, you know, trading card game, as many other games are. But we always want to bring a fresh approach to it. Whether it's from our core rules, you know, with things like the Paragon system being unique to Parallel, or, uh, of course, the banking system being unique to Parallel, or things like the Singularity right down to the individual cards. We want to show you crazy stuff and fun effects that hopefully you've, you've never seen anything like them. So yeah, we're not reinventing the wheel, but we are building the next generation of supercar, if you like, so. Totally. Uh, okay, this one comes from Apollonio the Marcolian. And also shout out to these uh, people on Twitter who are using the double slash in their names these days. That's crazy to even think that. Uh, oh my God, that's what that is. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Thank yeah, you yeah. to everyone doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think we could have more parallels in the future? <laughs> uh, oh, God. Um, if, you, if, you, if there was a camera right now, you'd see me scratching my head and shrugging. You see me profusely sweating. Yeah. Any, <laughs> anything can happen. 
Yeah, so this is one of those things where it's uh, don't count your chickens before they've hatched, right? Like, we are absolutely 100 miles an hour working on the base set and the base game of Parallel. In the future, will we explore the idea of a sixth Parallel? Almost certainly. Will we actually do it? We don't know at this point. Yeah, bring on the um, chuds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, okay, so Cujo asks, what games influenced uh, our design? Which existing communities are we listening to for feedback? Uh, okay, so as far as games that influenced our design, obviously Magic is a big one between the three of us. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a huge Hearthstone guy. I know you guys have played Hearthstone as well, but... Uh, mm -hmm. A big one that I'll mention uh, as a shout out because I used to play it as a kid a lot was uh, Android Netrunner. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that like maybe subconsciously that's where some of the face down elements come from because there was a, a lot of face down stuff going on in that game, which I really appreciate. But what are some of your guys' uh, design influences? Oh, Carson, you can go first. I'm still thinking of an answer that makes me sound smart. Oh, no. I don't think I have a smart answer. Um, I mean, again, magic is a big one, but uh, more, more of late, I think, just uh, the the advent of games like uh, you know card based video games um, surging forward, and uh, a lot of people getting interested in that kind of stuff. Like even even outside of like stuff like I mean, Talisman has been around forever, but like you know. Um, games games that kind of took like let's take the card game thing and let's turn it into like a let's put it into a video game space as well so like and, uh slay the spire and stuff like that maybe yeah yeah like slay the like can you call them spire likes now i don't know I, you but, probably uh, can yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah the, the huge amount of games that kind of spawned out of that and like the crazy the crazy mechanics that 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 they were able to put in, but the, like the kind of really interesting like deck building building mm -hmm. elements. I think uh, that was one of the things that got me interested. Um, but one of the big things was just with any card game, with with any actually any board game really, where you're sitting there and you have a bunch of things that you can do on your turn. You have a bunch of things that you can sort of a bunch of tools at your disposal, and it's about finding the optimal way to use all of those tools. Um, there's a game that I used to play that, oh gosh, I'm, see, I only, I gave it a nickname amongst my friends and I've only remembered the nickname, which is Space Dice, but <laughs> it's, um, oh gosh. Anyhow, it's a game about colonizing a planet and, uh, you know, um, competitively doing so and you roll dice to do so and the dice are also your ships and whatever faces, you know, whatever face they land on. Uh, has a functional ability so you know you can use pairs here or you can you have to use ascending numbers here i'm just gonna throw it out so there forth, are you talking but... about terraforming mars no i'm not uh, that's a great game that's good the space that's, that's one i keep meaning to play actually but yeah. uh but no so any, but anyhow so the uh just with that game specifically i found it was such a cool every turn was a puzzle to solve and it was something where you're looking and you're saying okay well i can do this but i can do this now, I have this ability where I can change the face of this. This, uh, You know, I can add or subtract a number to this one, or I can flip this dice over to the other number. You know, and little things like that made it like, oh, wow, I have all this modularity within what I can do, and I can place that wherever I like, and I can do whatever I like with that. And, like, figuring, like, how do I most efficiently use my turn? And I found that trickled down over to a lot of other games, and I, I found it was, like a core element of design that I liked was the idea that like, let me give you tools. Like, let me yeah. provide a player with a toolbox and let you figure out how you want to use them. Yeah, for sure. Well, so oh, quick, that's a really interesting answer. Quick uh, anecdote about Carson. Um, and the reason why uh, he was my first phone call when I decided to take on this project was uh, Carson and I have known each other for years and uh, we regularly go up to cottages and, and hang out together in, in social situations. And he's always bringing games up. And so am I. Uh, but one of the things that has always struck me about Carson is uh, every time I see him, he's bringing up a, a different game and saying like, Hey, check out this cool, this cool thing this game does. And it's not just, 
hey, check out this cool game. It's like, oh, there's this one element to this game, this mechanic that's going to be, you're going to love it, you know? And so he was very focused on on how the games work and how they operate. And I knew immediately that, uh, you know, that's somebody that I want uh, helping me with this thing. So, yeah, I can see how, you know, those games have definitely influenced him for sure. Yeah, I think um, my answer would just be, well, I guess I have two sides of an answer. So card games um, and board games, um, everything from like Dominion and stuff in board games, which is a game I really love, to um, more modern card games. Obviously, Magic has changed my life hugely. I've played it for most of my life, thankfully, professionally as well. Um, and honestly, on a more modern example, I really don't like tribalism in games, by the way. Um, I really hate it when the players or the fans of one game will try to tear down another to make theirs look like the superior option or whatever. Um, I think that there's plenty of room, especially in card games, to enjoy a plethora of them. That's why you'll often hear all of us really um, praising other card games because they, they do all sorts of cool stuff, you know? Um, there's not yeah. only one good game in each genre. So, like uh, Rune Terror, recently, I, I honestly would give a shout-out to the Legends of Rune Terror team and just say, I think they have pushed forward the boundaries of quality in digital card games. Like, I think how they present their game to people um, is is phenomenal. I think they've they've actually done a service to the genre by improving the standards that people expect, and that sets us a challenge, but that's awesome. Um, in a non-card gaming sense, honestly, for, for the world of Parallel and for a lot of, like, the inspiration I draw for, like, what cards are and stuff, um, I'm a huge StarCraft fan. That's another game that's influenced my life massively. Um you will see its influence in even how you play the game, hopefully. in a That's a very niche reference, but I'll explain it more in the future. But uh, that's not me announcing an RTS, by the way. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you'll see a little, a little influence of that, hopefully, in the future as well with some of the game modes. And um, yeah, that's just, a bit, that's just a big one for me. I think they really did sci-fi in a gaming context and world building and stuff like that in a genre you might not traditionally expect it, which is, you know, eerily similar to what we're doing. So I think they're a cool example for that. And um, yeah, just in more broad terms, just shout out to Final Fantasy. It was playing Final Fantasy VIII as a six-year-old was the moment I knew I wanted to make games. So, yeah. Final Fantasy VIII as a six-year-old. You're making me feel yeah. old, man. Um, okay, <laughs> so... Uh, oh, boy. You mentioned this. This comes from at uh, Brand Frost on Twitter. What mm. game modes are you considering at the moment besides 1v1? I feel like that's going to be a podcast in and of itself. So I will very briefly answer it, though. I think it's a good thing to get out there. Because the reason I would say that is... And feel free to edit me out if you disagree. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because it would be cool to have questions in that field for that future episode. Okay, yeah, sure. So, Let's go. Uh, very briefly, uh, this is talking very broadly, um, there will be a ladder, which obviously has both casual and ranked modes. The ranked mode will form the uh, the bread and butter of the gameplay loop, if you like. You know, there'll be monthly rewards we're hoping to do uh, for your positioning on the ladder, etc. Um, I'm working on a mode which is more like a deck builder, where you construct, you start out with a deck and then you construct it with additions as you go along. And I want to do that in both a PvP and a PvE setting so that there will be a solid PvE mode for people who want to focus on that. Um, I want to do uh, automated tournaments. I've already spoke about this a little bit. It's one of the things that I believe the most in for the game. Um, automated tournaments, I think, will be one of the best things in the game, I hope, because they're awesome. And I think card games criminally underuse them. And hopefully that will play into Prime and stuff like that and be exciting in certain modes. Um, but yes, so automated tournaments. And I also want to make a team mode, which is all I'm willing to say on that at the moment. <laughs> nice. Okay, well, uh, here's <laughs> one for you, Carson. Uh, sure. This is at unverse.eth. Uh, as far as gameplay goes, will decks be limited to individual parallels uh, with universals? Or can be comprised of multiple parallels uh okay so that that is something that we discussed very very early on uh i think it was one of the very first things that koji and i talked about when we when he first approached me on this game was uh how very adamantly the idea was we want each of these to feel unique amongst themselves and to play uniquely amongst themselves 
And for those mechanics to, you know, the way that Connor was talking about looking at a card and knowing just without any of the other context, knowing, just looking at the mechanics and knowing that this is a Marcolian card or this is an earthen card or this is a Cathari card, right? And, um, and that uniqueness, I think, carries over into um, a fundamental decision that we made, which was to say, uh, we want these parallels to um, exist on their own, like within their own decks, with, uh, you know, with, with, the, uh, with the added modularity of, of the universal card pool as well. But to keep it within that, to stay on flavor with what we want to do in terms of depicting this conflict between the parallels. Mm. Yeah, I yep. uh, couldn't have said it better, I don't think. Okay, um, JZ, I feel, I feel like I know who this is, given the uh, name and cat butt avatar, but uh, uh, they, are, they ask, what are you wearing? Boiler suit and ski goggles. Uh, I'm wearing just a smile. It's a good thing that we're uh, <laughs> not on camera. Christ. <laughs> oh boy. Uh okay. Uh, a lot of questions here that uh uh about catalyst drives and prime keys. Uh and I'm sure those will be answered in the future, but certainly not by us and probably not on this podcast. Um okay, so the last question is uh desktop, mobile, or both. Uh I think I can answer this one at least for now. So, I mean, ultimately, we want to expand across as many platforms as possible, but I think uh, our first iteration will be, at least for, for playtesting purposes and probably for beta purposes, will be desktop. Uh, and then we'll look to expanding to other devices uh, in the future. Yeah, it's very much so a future phase thing. Just please be patient with that sort of stuff. We have a lot of, a lot of work to do for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I think that has been at least this installment of Life in Parallel, uh, please do uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, follow us at Twitter at ParallelNFTPod and shoot us any questions there that you may have for our next episode. How'd you guys feel? Glorious. Yeah. No, good. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's nice, to, um, it's nice to just share details, to be honest, because... We, I think it's safe to say, even with Koji working a day job, we like live and breathe parallel at the moment. So uh, it's nice to uh, just to share some of that, to be honest. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It's, uh, it's been bottled up for so long, and I'm glad that uh, the card functions are finally getting out there. Mm. Uh, as you guys listen to more and more episodes, please do hit me up, uh, or hit us up, excuse me, at ParallelNFTPod on Twitter, and uh, give us some deck ideas that you may have uh, in the future, or combos that you see arising from some of these cards, because I'm, I'm curious as soon as we can to hear from our users about what we've done. Also, ask us as much as you can when the game's launching. Oh, yeah. I mean, my answer is going to change. Every time somebody asks me, it extends the launch date by at least a week. (laughs) We'll see you in 3082 at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, we'll see you when uh, Parallel.life becomes actual life. Um, Okay, well, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, I don't have a sign-off, so I don't know. Keep aping. Keep <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's the one. Got it. That's the one. <laughs>